Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. And happy Mother's Day. And uh, up here, we have white roses, and that's to honor the mothers that we've lost. And um, so I want to encourage you, if you want to take a rose uh, after the service, not now, don't get up, all right, don't rush the stage, um, to remember mom, because I know this is, this is a happy day, and it can be a sad day, it's all wrapped up into one, some, some it's a guilt day, I just didn't do a good enough job, and, and yeah, there's so many different emotions that run during this time, so I get that. And uh, so we wanted to honor moms. Um, I remember my mom all the time. I talk about her often. As a matter of fact, I'm writing a story right now where she's included in the story her life is. And I had her write the obituary. I mean, my mom's gone, so which I already did. But, but to write it again to include those things was, was, was both happy, sad time because I was saddened that my mom's gone. But it was, it was cool to type that in, you know, and just say, this is my mom. This is who she was, and honor her that way. And that video, I, when I found that video, I love the imagery there. Um, in my story that I'm writing, Joshabet is in the story. I hadn't intended to speak on her on Mother's Day, but the more I investigated the story, I said, what a perfect story of the sacrificial mother. And I love this picture. Some of you go, that's gross. That's mom's. That's mom's of what they do. And Joshabed was one who sacrificed for her family. And the main point, which technically can be applied to all of us, so don't just say, well, this is all about moms. I'm going to write this up. No, everything we're talking about is truth that can be applied to anybody. But moms, you have a calling, and it's this, to live a life that is a demonstration of God's love. And that's what Joshabed was. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphone devices, go to the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, book of Exodus. And um, to kind of give you some backstory here, uh, this starts off Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, that it says, then a new king who did not know Joseph. So if you went back to Genesis, here's Joseph. He comes and saves his people. He's like the second most powerful person in Egypt next to the Pharaoh. But between Joseph and this chapter is now 400, over 400 years. And the new pharaoh, the new king, doesn't remember Joseph. It'd be like me asking you questions about George Washington. You know, some of you may go, oh, I know about George Washington. Well, what was his wife's name? Well, how many kids did he have? What, I mean, you would probably be very slow in knowing any of that unless you're a really history buff. I mean, you know George Washington, but that was hundreds of years ago. Well, imagine now double that. And so the new Pharaoh did not understand the relationship Joseph had, the nation of Israel. All he saw was a problem. And it says here that they came to power, when he came to power in Egypt, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we will deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. If war breaks out, We'll join, they'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave this country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built 
Pithom and Ramses as store cities of Pharaoh. And most of us know this story from the Ten Commandments, let my people go, and a lot of our history. And, and technically, I rewatched all that, I go, that's pretty close of what took place. But understand, here's the nation of Israel who grew up in freedom and really prosperity under Egypt, and now, within a moment, they've gone to slavery. They've always, all of a sudden been placed in bondage by this Pharaoh, and they were to treat them harshly. And one of the reasons they thought was, if we treat them harshly, then the men will come home, they'll be too tired to have sex and make more Israelites. But what he failed to realize, it doesn't matter with men, then or now. It doesn't matter if you're tired, all right? It has nothing to do with anything, all right? And it didn't have anything to do with the story because his plan A, we get them so tired they won't make babies. It backfired, all right? It didn't work. Verse 12 says, but the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied. <laughs> okay, work harder, you can see what happens, all right? And they began to spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They didn't dread them before, but now they're popping up everywhere. And so they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Plan A didn't work. We make them so tired, treat them so harshly, they'll either stop making babies or they'll just die. Didn't work. So let's look at plan B. Verse 15. King of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were those two gals, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Talk about what was women's rights. They had a lot of rights back then, right? The midwives, however, I love this, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. So, plan B was genocide of all the male children. I mean, it seems like that's a history that keeps repeating itself. Let's kill all the boys, and we'll keep the girls, and we can keep them as slaves, and the boys won't raise up, rise up against us. The only problem is, the midwife said, we fear God more than we do the government. And so they didn't. That plan backfired. He hauls in the... The, the, the midwives, and says in verse 18, then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, you know, these Hebrew women, they're not like Egyptians women. I mean, they're vigorous. They'll give birth anywhere. They'll they pop them out before we get there, which was a total lie. Now, in your notes, I put that. Is there ever a time when lying is okay? Do I look fat in this? There are always times when... <laughs> Jesus does say, you know, there's times we need to be gentle as a dove and what? Shoot as a serpent. And it's funny, in this particular point, God blesses them for lying. It says in verse 20, now, that's a whole sermon into itself. Though, hey, I can go home and lie and God will bless me, all right? Please understand. I don't, don't, I'm not saying lying's okay, but there are times when all of a sudden that might kick in. And so verse 20 says, so God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became even more numerous. 
And because the wit, I love this, because the midwives feared God. And what did they do to the government? He gave them families of their own. So I don't know if their wombs were closed or that time. Then Pharaoh gave the order to all his people. Plan A didn't work. Plan B didn't work. Plan C. All right, people. Every one of you who sees a boy, throw him into the Nile. Throw him into the crocs. And you have to see the culture that's happening right here, okay? Some similarities, but I don't have time to go there. You, know, you talk about cancel culture to the nth degree here. If we just work them hard enough, we'll shut them up, and they won't have sex. They won't make more bed. So we're just going to have some kill the boys. We'll put those guys in. That doesn't work. All right. It's, everyone, it's free toss a baby in the Nile time. And you have to, I mean, you have to stop there for a moment and picture this. Because the, it, the Israelites were hated by the Egyptians. They were despised. You don't think they were just walking that a bunch of boys and men, Egyptians, just looking for babies to toss into the Nile River? And you go, how can that be? I mean, you can go through history and see that repeated over and over and over again. And this is the culture. This is the time. This is the picture of the Egyptians. This is where Joshabed had to make some decisions. Exodus 2 verse 1 says this, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw he was a fine child, which mamas always think their kids are fine children, right? When she realized, now she had already had two kids. Miriam and Aaron were already born. This is her third. When she recognized this was a fine child, this was a special child, which, guys, all children are special. All children are workmanship of God. That's why, I mean, if you were here for the comedian, she was great. Um, but, I mean, she, I mean, she would say, I don't have a special needs child, but in every definition she does. But she never let that be a hindrance to where she was going to take her and allow her to do. And she showed that off of how God has worked miracles within that. Because every child is God's workmanship. Every child has a purpose. Just like as big people, I keep telling you, guys, you have a purpose, the reason you're here. The reason you took breath today is God's not finished with you yet. That's true with every single child. We may not know what that purpose is. She did not know what that purpose was. But she knew she had to do everything possible to save this child. Verse 3 says, But when she could hide him no longer, three months, try to keep a baby quiet. We had students that, when we were at UOP that bought a little black puppy to keep in their dorm. All right. The only problem was this puppy was a Newfoundland. If you've ever seen a Newfoundland, it's like a mini bear. And so we, we inherited little Onyx, all right, because they couldn't, he couldn't keep a dog. I mean, it was just amazing. Oh, no. The, the, the dorms, people will never find out. The RA, dude, you have a dog. Have you seen a picture of how big they're going to get? There's a baby. How are you going to keep this baby quiet? especially when you got groups looking for the opportunity to toss a baby to the crocs. So she got a basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Now, I don't know, 
Was this her idea? Was this Amram's idea? Because we know that Amram and Joshua, we find out their names in the book of Numbers. That we don't know if his mom, dad together, did she have a dream? But again, your solution to save your baby is not to leave because Egypt was the rule. Where are you going to go? This is the rule of the whole area. I'm going to make a basket. I'm going to make a mini ark. Because it's the only term, time this is used here. There are, I mean, that's a sermon unto itself. But she covers it in tar and pits to protect the baby. And it says, then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank. What an incredible act of faith by this mom. Now, you can tell the dude is writing this, Moses is writing this, because it just says, then she placed the child in the basket and sent it you think that's what happened? I mean, at that point, you've got to pause. I mean, I, I remember us walking our Stephanie, our first child, to school for the first time. <laughs> I mean, just how emotional it is. Some of you putting your baby in the daycare. They're protected. They got a TV in there. They got toys. And you go, I don't know if we can do this. You're putting your child, three months old, in a basket and sending it down the I think if Joshua Ben were to write this chapter, it would be a couple chapters long. The emotions. And sometimes we have to stop just to imagine for a moment the anguish, what she was feeling, what she was going through. But again, to live a life that demonstrated God's love. Much like we talked about John the Baptist last week. I guarantee you she was at the crossroads of doubt and faith at that time. Is this going to work? What's going to happen? Can I trust God in this? Maybe she did have a dream. Maybe God told her to do it. We don't, we don't know that part of the story because Moses is right and not her. I mean, the emotions you feel of when your baby is just hurt, can you imagine putting your crying three-month-old three -month baby in a basket and pushing it off. Denial is a swift river. Um, but she put it in the reeds, because in the reeds, the, the current is much slower there. She also put it amongst the reeds, because that's where crocs don't tend to hang out. And she sent her daughter, Miriam, to walk along the path to make sure what was going on. And technically, she was obeying the pharaoh. She put her child in the Nile. <laughs> so, hey, push goes to show. I was just following your rules. You know, you didn't say nothing about a basket and tar and all that other stuff. And she sends it off. When, just a step of faith that she has there. One writer put it this way. Fight the odds. Your actions may become a part of a greater story. See, we're only seen right in front of us. We don't realize the actions that we take, the ripples that we make, of what that's going to mean down the road. I mean, you can look back. I can look back now at my mom and see the various things. I was talking about her yesterday, of just the impact we were talking. Someone was talking. We were at a table. It was a funeral for a friend and um, talking about fear and anxiety and anger. And I got to relate the story of my mom when she came alongside me after we found out she had cancer. I, I mean, I was pissed off at God. I was just she says, honey, it's okay. You can be angry at God. He can take it. 
And that lady looked at me and said, your mom told you that? I mean, it was just like, it was a release. She told you that? Yeah, she did. I've never forgotten that. Your actions may become a part of a greater story. And verse 5 has the, one of the incredible coincidences of all time. It says in verse 5, Then the Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. Why would the Pharaoh's daughter go down to the Nile to bathe? It's a dirty river. Uh, you get, you, see, you got to, wait, wait a minute. Are you telling me the Pharaoh didn't have some baths? I mean, yes, they had grand baths. Was there a plumbing, plumbing issue all of a sudden? And she says, I think I'm going to go bathe, all right, in the Nile River where it's full of crocodiles and all those types of things. I mean, in in the Ten Commandments, it's this beautiful thing, you know, with steps into the water. No, she's on the shore because her, her attendants are walking around the shore. She just happened, coincidence, happened to be taking a bath along the Nile. Of all the coincidences that have changed the fortunes of the world, among the greatest is this one. God is always at work behind the scenes. I don't know how and I don't know when, but I know, I trust, that God has always worked behind the scenes. Before I'm going into something, before something that's coming into your life, before something, an issue with your child or something, God is at work behind the scenes because he knows what's coming. He knew this basket he knew that she was going to send. She was going to step out in faith and believe in God and trust him for the rest of the story and sense this down. And all of a sudden, God acts in a Pharaoh's heart, daughter's heart. I mean, she's a pagan there. She worships other gods and, and, and even goes against Pharaoh himself, her dad's rule. But she dared to trust God that this was going to work out. She finds a basket, it says, among the reeds and sent her slave girls to pick it, get it out. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. John Phillips, one of the translators of a, of a Bible, says this about this section. The tears that trickled down the cheek of that baby melted the heart of Pharaoh's proud daughter and changed the destiny of an empire and the fate of the Here's God working behind the scenes. And even as she notices, this is a Hebrew baby. Now, it's not like the movie where the, the servant later reveals that he was Hebrew. No. He was a Hebrew baby. She should have just sunk the basket if she's going to follow the rules. But she doesn't. And with humor, God's, it says verse 7, then his sister who was right there, asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Again, this is an act because, remember, the Hebrews were despised. They were slaves. They had taskmasters. Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got her mother. Can, again, we don't know what happened there. You've got to put yourself, what did, what did she say? Mom, 
Pharaoh's daughter was there. She took the baby. Now, he's not Moses yet because Joshebed doesn't name him. Pharaoh's daughter names him. Took a baby brother. And now she wants you to come and nurse the child. I mean, that, to me, this is God's sense of humor just going, see, when you act in the faith, when you trust me, <coughs> I'll do some amazing things here. And it says her, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, to Joshua, take this baby and nurse him, and I'll pay you on top of that. She didn't have to do that. She could have enslaved her right then to nurse the baby. No, I'll pay you. is when we act in faith, that puts us in a position to do some great things. That places us in opportunities, if you will, to step into places that we never knew because we trusted. All of a sudden, this door opens up or this window opens up. All of a sudden, it places us in a time that all of a sudden, we can be a part of the continuing story because Joshua was rewarded for her faith. Joshabed got to raise this child. I mean, verse 9, so the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, okay, you're talking in one verse, years has taken place. When the child got over, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Can you see this? I mean, all of a sudden she knows. She, I mean, the whole ritual that, that, that took place, and she, she named him. I'm sure Joshua had a different name for Moses. Name says Moses because I drew him out of the water. It's interesting, Joshua is the first name in the Old Testament. There are many after this, but it's the first name that begins her name with Yah, which is short for Yahweh. Yahweh is glory is what Joshua Ben means. It's interesting that when Moses is writing, that's what he puts down, that this, this is what my mom's name meant. See, God knows the full story. He just wants us to trust him. God knows the full story for your child. God knows your full story for your big kid too. The job of a mother is to be faithful. The job of a mother is to come alongside because you never know what that child is going to grow, grow up to be. I mean, Moses is mentioned 784 verses in the, in the whole Bible. 705 in the Old Testament, 79 in the New Testament. I mean, Moses is, a, is the lawgiver. He's the emancipator of, of Israel out of Egypt. Let my people go. He wrote the first song that's in the Bible. matter of the first song that he wrote in the Bible, we found in Revelations 15, because part of his song is what's being sung in heaven today. And this is a baby that should have been tossed to the cross. But a faithful mom steps up. A few women... I've had to face the turmoil. I mean, there are women today, I believe. I mean, when we say, that's ah, been really tough. She was in a culture that hated her. She was in a culture that was killing babies everywhere. And in the midst of that, she said, I'm not going to allow the Pharaoh to decide that. I'm not going to allow the culture to determine what happens to my child. And as she raised Moses to never forget that he was a Hebrew, Never forget his position. Never forget what he was called to be. 
there's a quote in one of the writers on this said, the universities of Egypt, the temptations of the palace, the lure of position, power, and wealth, and the possibility of a worldly throne never erased his mother's training. Moms, let me encourage you. Grandmas, let me encourage you. Those little things that you continue to teach your child, and oh, they're not getting it, they're not getting it. You just keep repeating it. You just keep repeating it. Your job is to demonstrate the love of God. Your job, I mean, the incredible power that moms have. Dads, we'll get to you in June. But I, uh, and that's not to minimize dads because you have that same power. But the power that you have to counteract the culture that our children are being raised in today. I many times apologize to young people. I'm sorry for the world we're leaving you here. It's crazy. It's going to get crazier, guys. Um, our job is to protect mothers. Our job is to point them to Christ, show them the way. I mean, there's a verse my mom leaned on too heavily. Raise your child in the way of the Lord, and when they're old, they will depart from it. They, the teenage years are totally left out in that verse. And my mom held on to that passage. So the day she died. Because if I... If I give them the things necessary, I can't pick what they're going to do. They're going to have to make their own choices in life. Moses had to make his own choices. And if we study the life of Moses, Moses decided, I'm going I'm I'm to release the Jews now and start a murdered someone. <coughs> you got ahead of the plan. I mean, we, guys, we all make mistakes. And mothers, no one, there's not a mother who's perfect. Not one of us. Why am I saying us? I'm not a mother. I've been called a mother, but I'm not, not a mother. <laughs> Uh, some of you will get that later today. I just... The job is to protect, to shield. That's why I love that picture of the, the mom with the arrows in her back. That's your job, is to pour into your kid and demonstrate the love of God. There was a little boy who built a little boat. And um, he asked his mom to take him to the lake so he can float it out there and he's got a string tied to it and he lets it out and it starts to go and all of a sudden the string slips out of his hand and the boat begins to drift away where he can't get to it. And he cries, Mommy, Mommy, my boat, my boat, it's getting away. And so Mom picks up these big rocks and starts throwing it at the boat. And the kid freaks out. Mom, what are you doing? You're going to ruin the boat. Don't, don't wreck my boat. But mom wasn't trying to hit the boat. She was throwing it past the boat to create little ripples and waves. Because with each rock throw, the ripple pushed the boat closer to shore. Mom's your job is to throw rocks. Your job is to not make them. You, you, I mean, you show them. You direct them. But your job is to throw rocks and allow the ripples that you create to bring them to shore, to bring them to safety. And I trust me, trust me when I say, you know this, many of you know this, they're going to interpret rock throwing as you hate them. You're there to ruin their life. 
I still remember the day when my mom did something, my dad counteracted with something on top of that, and I took my Boy Scout knife, laid on my back, and carved in, inside my closet door, on the door, I hate you, mom and dad. I can't tell you what they did. I'm sure it was horrible for me to take out my pocket knife and carve it into the door. When they sold that house, I went back through it for the last time and laid down in my bedroom, looked at that, that closet door still had the itching in it. But at some point in time, I'd taken the knife and scratched out hate and carved in love. Parents, moms, your job is to demonstrate God's love. And sometimes that's hard. I mean, sometimes the love of God in our lives is hard. That's where judgment comes in. That's where discipline comes in. That's when you're loving on them as much as you can. But that's your call, is to live a life in demonstration of God's love. Just keep at it. Don't stop believing, right? Some of you are... Some of you flash back when that song came. I mean, I watched them. You know, wow! I mean, you, you were enjoying it. But it's true. Don't stop believing. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep showing. Keep throwing those rocks. And there'll be a day when your kids will come and honor you for your faithfulness. It might be when you're old, 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 old. <laughs> when they're old, they won't depart from it, it says. Don't stop believing and don't stop demonstrating God's love. Father in heaven, I thank you for moms and again, as I've said, none of us would be here without them. Father, for those who've lost moms, this may be the first Mother's Day without mom. May the memories flow. As the tears flow, may the laughter flow as well. As stories are shared. As things to remember. May you, may you stir memories that have been buried long ago up as, as those things are shared. Whether for, for the moms who've lost kids here, and the moms whose kids have, have taken a left turn when they, moms have been throwing those rocks to keep that boat right, well, just encourage them to not stop. Not stop believing, not stop praying. A lot of ways to throw a rock. Father, for those moms who are just so tired. <laughs> Not tired of being mom, but just the energy is zapped. Them out. May you encourage them this day. That they trust you as they take the arrows for their child, children. As the culture launches its deal, as the devil don't like kids. As they sacrifice me, you encourage them that it's worth it. Thank God you honor people that trust you in this place. And for this, we give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name.